Well, good morning. Did you bring your Bible? Please pull it out and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 8. And I want us to just take a quick look at some, a short passage here. You know, Matthew chapter 8, we find a story about Jesus that is only five verses long and yet ends with a very, very important question. Jesus had performed three miracles, verses 1 through 17 in this passage, but now he was going to head out from Capernaum and he was going to go set sail across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And the Sea of Galilee was, uh, well, it, wasn't, it didn't always behave. It was a treacherous body of water. And he was headed to his next point of interest and he was on his mission work. He was, he was in the midst of his missionary time, his ministry. And if you don't know the story, what happens is as Jesus gets into this boat with his disciples, many of these guys who were very experienced sailors and on the way across that Sea of Galilee, a storm shows up. And not just any storm. If you look with me in Matthew chapter 8, verse 24, it says, And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. How many of y'all have ever been in the Gulf of Mexico on a little boat? I mean, a little boat. If you're, if you're talking about one of those cruise ships, that's not a little boat. Okay? Uh, I had the blessing uh, when we lived in Texas City to go on a shark hunt with a guided fisherman. And uh, Brother Darren was chumming the waters, helping his brothers find... I'm just joking. Uh, well, I wasn't joking about the... Anyway, but uh, when you're in a little boat, do waves have a big impact? Oh, yeah. And these waves, it says, this is this terrible storm. It says the waves, uh, the ship was covered with the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And his disciples came to him and they woke him and saying, Lord, save us. We're, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds. He got up out of the bottom of that ship and he said, Hey, wind, knock that off. And he said to the sea, Hey, that's enough. Be still. And there was a great calm. But the men marveled. And they asked this question. What manner of of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. I bring this story up this morning because these guys seem to be asking an obvious question to us. What manner of man is this, is what they're asking. They're saying, who is this guy? Even the winds and the seas obey him. And the reality is, though, is if you didn't know this, they knew the answer to the question they were asking already. These men were not ignorant. They, were not, uh, they may have been uh, laborers and, and may not have all been highly educated, but they were not fools. They knew Psalm 65, where it says, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all ends of the earth, of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, be girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves. They knew that only one person, one individual could have done what 
Jesus had done. They knew who it was. These guys were not seeking, they were not pursuing knowledge. Their question came from a realization of a a, a serious truth. Their question was making a point that Jesus was also Emmanuel, which is interpreted as God with us. And the song we just sang, a beautiful hymn, is kind of in the, in the same manner, asking the same sort of question. What child is this? Maybe this hasn't been one of your favorite Christmas hymns. I don't know. Maybe it's the one you've heard so many times, you, and it's a little slow, and, and it kind of makes you feel like falling asleep, so you just switched the channel to Mr. Grinch. Um, You might think, it seems silly to ask, what child is this? Duh, it's Jesus. But the answer is far more than it's just Jesus. And this beautiful, hymns are rich, by the way. Many hymns are rich with truth. Some of them don't quite stand up to others, I'll be honest with you. And hymns aren't the only songs with rich and beautiful truths, but this hymn is rich. And this beautiful hymn of Christmas tells us a powerful truth. And it answers this question, what child is this? And the first thing we see as an answer is, this is the child whom angels greet. Quite a greeting and announcement party. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever uh, uh, you go to your, your birthday party, Usually people are expectant, right? They're, they're waiting for you. And when you come in, if it's a surprise party, they go, oh, happy birthday. And it's this big surprise greeting. Or what about a guy like the King of England? Uh, he might be heralded quite a bit. He, when he meets uh, dignitaries, foreign dignitaries or heads of state, they stand. They greet him. These very important people greet him and give them their attention. When our president any president, all presidents, the good, the bad, and the ugly, they all have received the kind of deference uh, uh, as their former presidents before them. They are recognized as men of power, of, 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 uh, 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 of importance. You know, whenever the president, whoever the president is, when he enters the U.S. House of Representatives, there's a guy that's waiting there for him to walk in. And, and what does he do? Have y'all seen that before? He goes, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. And everybody jumps up and they start clapping. Oh, yeah, here he is. They're excited that the President is there. I don't know why they are, but they are. But I don't think any king or president has ever been heralded by angels. Brother Lester just read Luke chapter 2. One of my most favorite passages of Scripture, the, the best, I'm just going to say it for myself, the best Christmas passage, uh, especially when Linus reads it. <laughs> and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came about them. And the glory of the Lord, Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
And suddenly there was with the host, with the angel, the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. If you just look at Jesus' greeting party, it is abundantly clear who this child is. And it's almost too wonderful to be true. God himself has become a man in this little baby. Matthew 1, 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. Or John 1.14, powerful scripture, and the word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God himself has not only become a man in this baby, but he's come with a mission, a purpose, to rescue us. How many of you remember when you were a child, maybe going to the store? Or I remember one time with my, I was with my mom, and since I was the youngest, my brothers got to stay at home or go in their cars and do stuff, but I was the youngest, and so I had to tag along with mom everywhere. And I remember going to Albertsons, which was right around the corner from our house where we shopped for groceries, and I remember I was looking at something on a shelf, and then I turned around, and my mom was nowhere in sight. And I was probably six or seven years old, maybe a little younger. And have, you, have, you, have any of you ever experienced that? Remember what that felt like? I mean, it's, it's a little unnerving. Uh, your safety net is gone. You're, you, you're, you're lost. And, and you start to panic. You get scared and you don't, you don't really know where to go. And you run to the end of the aisle and you're about to cry and, and you can't see her. And so you decide, well, I got to go somewhere. I got to find, mom, mom, where are you? You're scared. And then you remember that moment, maybe the moment when, when you, you turn on an aisle and you see just the back of someone who looks like your mom. Maybe it is. Or maybe, maybe coming around the corner of, a, of an aisle, you see a shadow that's shaped just like your mom. And that joy, that, that expectant hope of, hey, I'm about to be rescued. Uh, it's going to be okay. You know, and, and then, then the joy that when she comes and she sweeps you up in, your, in her arms and you're saved. That's, this is what Christmas is. Christmas is the realization that you're lost and that you need a savior. And he has come. And he's coming to sweep you up into his arms and love you. Amen. That's what Christmas is. Jesus coming to save us. John 3.16, one of the most powerful and amazing verses in all of scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life is followed by another wonderful verse that says in verse 17 for God sent his not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved that means you this child is greeted by angels as the savior he's God in the flesh and he's come to save and rescue you and me Praise God. Jesus himself explained what his message was, what his mission was in Luke chapter 19.10. He said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to rescue you. 
That's what this song is about, about a Savior coming to rescue you. It's also, we, we learn more about this child, though, as we, as we go through this song. It says uh, that even though he came with the fanfare of heaven, the angels and the stars even heralding his arrival, he also came in such mean estate. And what does that mean? Jesus, what it means is Jesus wasn't born into earthly riches. Jesus wasn't born into prominence and power. He, became, he came to be a, truly Emmanuel, God with us. I can't imagine uh, some foreign dignitary coming to sit here. Some, there's some of them. I, I'd be shocked if they came and sat in here with me. I'm not going to sully your reputation, but I don't know why they would come to see me. Uh, uh, but... Jesus, God in the flesh, came to be where we are, to be with us. Luke 2.12, and this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. manger. You know, the song verse talks about animals feeding there where Jesus was, but there's not any biblical reference uh, that I could find to there actually being am- animals there with him. But there's no mistaking that Jesus was born where animals were kept and he was laid in a manger, a feed trough. The v- very humble circumstances. And Jesus, Jesus, uh, another place we see his humble life, we see in Matthew 8.20 when, when he said to uh, some of the followers he had, the foxes have holes and the birds have the air, uh, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. What was he saying? He says, listen, if you want to follow me, I'm not going to be staying in nice places. I don't, I don't have a cool apartment I can take you back to. Uh, I don't have any of that. I'm homeless. You want to follow me, you're probably going to be homeless too. He didn't live a life of luxury. He was a laborer who did not have a home of his own throughout his entire time of ministry. Maybe the most Obvious reference to Jesus' uh, uh, humility is Philippians chapter 2. And I would encourage you to open your Bible there, Philippians 2, where it says in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Listen, we're talking about God. God where, where had God lived before this? Where had God uh, 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 spent his time? In the heavenlies. Uh, he also had a place here on earth. It was a temple or there was sometimes the tabernacle. But, and that was a rich and lavish place. But we're talking about God being in the heavenlies. And this is God in the flesh. He's leaving the glory of heaven to be in our uh, lowly world. And I, I couldn't help as I was uh, thinking about this, I was thinking about American missionaries. Uh, here in our, in our uh, uh, worship hall, we have many missionaries represented on these walls, and our missions conference is coming up next month, and we're going to be talking about some of these missionaries, and we're going to meet uh, some of the missionaries we support, and they're going to be here with us, Brother Bruce Martin and Christopher Bell, wonderful missionaries. Uh, but you know, whenever an American missionary goes to a foreign field, how do they usually live? They live like Americans. Uh, I, I could speak firsthand knowledge of this. When I went to uh, see 
Brother Tim and Miss Mandy in, in Panama, they have a nice apartment and, and they have a nice uh, couch and chair in, in their uh, front room and, and a TV and, and they have some comforts of, of what they would expect and had in America. And I don't say this to say that they're wrong in doing that. I don't think they're bad or that that shows a lack of commitment. I think it's understandable why most missionaries don't abandon their entire culture because they have just entered an entirely new culture. I think it makes sense that that missionaries uh, uh, need to have a place of refuge on the field where they can feel comfortable and they can be at home. But our Savior, when Jesus came to rescue us, He didn't bring any of the comforts of home. He left it all behind. He he left it and He made His home here with us. He made His home here with us among some of the lowest of society in that time. I mean, He came and He lived among sinful people to die for those sinful people. He, he humbled himself from sovereign ruler of the universe to a servant among men. He was God even when he was conceived in Mary. He was God when he was laid in the manger. He was God who was first worshipped by lowly shepherds. He came in some of the humblest of circumstances, far more humble than any of us than most of us, or maybe all of us. But why did Jesus come in such humble circumstances to live such a humble life? Was it to just show us that it's possible to live without a bunch of riches? Was it to show us that a life of meagerness was a a better way of life? No, the answer is uh, clear when you hear that second chorus of this beautiful hymn, What Child Is This? I don't know, how many of y'all have never heard, when y'all sang that this morning in our morning worship, had never heard it before that? Man, powerful words. Nails, spears shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me, for you. Back in Philippians 2. It continues in the same vein. He says, And being found in in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You might think it muddies the brightness and joy of Christmas to seeing nails and spears shall pierce him through. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about that during Easter, right? Why can't we just leave it for Easter and not talk about it uh, during Christmas? Can we just have a, our minds and the, imagining the sweet smell of a newborn baby instead of the stench of blood and death? But Jesus' birth with no cross is no news of joy and hope. In fact, I'd argue that the reason that Christmas has trended more and more to lose its true meaning, to, to, to focus on presents and Santa Claus and all the commercial trappings, and I enjoy those things. They're fun. But the reason is because the world knows that Christmas originated with the birth of Christ, but it is forgotten about the cross and the power of the cross. <coughs> They've abandoned the, an understanding of the hope that is in Christ. The reality that Jesus' birth to them is, is hollow and meaningless without the cross. 
The cross is the hope of forgiveness of sins through Christ's atoning blood. Think about these lyrics. Good Christians fear for sinners here. <coughs> the silent word. If you read that in the, in the text, that word, word is capitalized just like it is in, in John 1.14. The silent word, the, the Savior is pleading. Nails and spears pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Listen, Christmas is for you. The story of Christmas is for you. The Jesus' birth is for you. Jesus' earthly life was for you. Jesus' profound and difficult ministry was for you. Jesus' death is for you. Jesus' triumphant resurrection is for you. The cross doesn't ruin Christmas. It gives Christmas its power. Wow. And then that invitation at that last uh, uh, verse, come. Who is invited? Come, peasants. Kings. Boy, there's a wide swath of society, isn't there? You know, who, who were the first to witness Jesus' birth? I, I say we could probably argue, uh, maybe if we want to get technical, Brother Eric is a guy who likes to get technical. Uh, it would have been his mom and his earthly father. You know, if you go and you read the begats of Matthew or the lineage of, of, uh, uh, of Joseph, you'll see that they had uh, royal blood in their veins. They were from the house of David. Yet these two were simple peasants. They had no wealth. They had no power or prominence. They were just poor. He was just a poor carpenter. And his young, poor peasant wife. And they were the first ones there. The advent of God in the flesh. But then who came? Who came then? The, the shepherds. Hey, the shepherds were invited by the angels. The shepherds were chosen. These guys are so insignificant. We don't know their names. We don't even know their number, how many there were. Yet they're included. They were invited. They were lower than even the, a lowly carpenter and his young wife. These guys are so low that we don't know their names. Luke 2, 17 and 18, and when they had seen it, they made known. What did they do? They became the first evangelists. They made it known abroad, saying uh, that which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. And then who else is invited in this song? Kings. Hey, I think the point uh, isn't to say, hey, only the lowest and then maybe the very highest and then all of us middle class are left out. No, it means all are invited to come. Oh, I don't know your uh, eternal situation this morning. I have no idea. Uh, I, I, I honestly uh, can only know what's between me and God. I can't even know the eternal situation of my wife. I have heard her testimony. I was there when she was saved. I was there when she was baptized. Uh, uh, there's others here that I've baptized. There's others here uh, that I've, I've led to Christ who got saved while I was there. But you know what? I still can't know. The reason I say this is because your eternity depends on what you do with Christmas. 
and Jesus Christ and the power of the cross because he offers to you a hand of salvation. He offers you a gift. He says, listen, if you'll but trust me and quit believing that you can figure this out and you can be good enough and you can come to church on Sunday uh, during Christmas and you can come at Easter and you can give a bunch of money and you can, uh, you, you know what, even if you, if you attend and you get baptized, listen, none of that's going to save you. If you'll just give that up and trust in me, I don't care who you are. You come, and I've, because I've come to rescue you, I will, I will save you. You know, this book, the Bible, is addressed. Now, some of these letters are addressed to, to churches and, and uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the prophets and, and other books. They're addressed to the people of the time. But it's been preserved for all peoples everywhere. So that this morning, if you've never heard that you could be saved, you could hear it here. And that this offer of salvation could be extended to you. We have no biblical record of any actual kings coming to bow the knee to Jesus. In fact, Herod sought to murder him. But we know that wise men came from afar to Jerusalem to find the Messiah in Matthew chapter 2. They'd been described as important dignitaries from foreign lands or astrologers who had discovered the remarkable star and knowing the prophecy of the Messiah that came to worship him. But the point of all of this is that Jesus came for all of mankind. He came for the weak and the strong. He came for the wise and the foolish. He came for the low and despised. And he came for the important and powerful. Jesus came for sinners. And if you weren't here last week, Romans 3.23 makes it pretty clear who sinners are. It says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. And this story, the story that we, we celebrate every year, the birth of Christ, this beautiful, the, the, the story that we memorialize with, uh, uh, with, with manger scenes and nativity scenes at our homes, this story that we've read over and over throughout our lives, we're invited to be part of the story. We're invited to trust in this Savior Jesus. And not only that, we're invited to come and to worship Him. This morning, I'm going to invite you to worship Him. Let's stand together. And I tell you what, we'll do it without piano. We'll do it without Eric. And I'm going to invite you to worship with me. Sing the words of this beautiful hymn and consider the power that they hold and the reality of Jesus Christ. What child is this? Verse 